0: Namo Tassa Baga arahato Aha Hato Samma Sambo Dasa Namor Tassa Baga Samma Namo tasa bhagavato ahahato sambodasa. And tonight I will talk about mudita or appreciative joy, rejoicing Having embarked on a spiritual journey, time and again we find ourselves confronted with the fact that we are not flowing with the mainstream. Our spiritual quest is not a topic or an action which is promoted or supported by large um, advertising companies. So trying to integrate the spiritual practice into their daily lives, people very often find themselves swimming against the stream. In German there is the saying nur tote Fische schwimmen mit dem Strom and in English it means only dead fish swim with the stream. If we look around in this world then the dead fish far outnumber those fishes which are alive and alert. And therefore, it's only natural that we want to be in the company of alive or awake fishes. And this is just like in the story of Venerable Shariputta and Venerable Mogalana, when they left their first teacher after then uh, they met the Buddha. Before Venerable Sariputta and Venerable Moggallana became monks in the order of the Buddha, they were the disciples of an ascetic teacher called Sanjaya. But actually they were not fully satisfied with the teacher's doctrine and so they still were searching for a way to reach the deathless. At that time, Venerable Sariputta was called Upatissa, and so when he met one of the Buddha's first disciples, the Venerable Asaji, and when he told him what the Buddha's teaching was all about, he immediately could understand it, and he reached the first stage of enlightenment. And so then he went back and told his friend Kolita, who was to become Venable Moggallana, and telling him the same verse, also Venerable Moggallana, um, or at that time Kolita, uh, became a stream-enterer too. And so then, they went to their teacher Sanjaya and told him that they had found the teaching by practicing which they could reach the deathless state. And they told him that a Buddha had arisen in the world, and that he, the teacher, should come with them to go and see the Buddha but Sanjaya uh, refused to go with them and even offered them to be co-leaders in Sanjaya's community telling them that this would give them much fame and praise, that they could become famous as co-leaders in his teaching. But the two friends they said, we, we rather would remain pupils for the rest of our life. We want to go and see the Buddha. Will you come with us? But Sanjaya said, no, I can't come with you. And so they asked, why? Why can't you come with us? And so Sanjaya said, I have many disciples. I am famous, and I cannot give up uh, my disciples, I can, cannot revert to a state of being a pupil. But the two friends still urged him to come and see the Buddha, because it was such a rare opportunity that a Buddha arose in the world. And so finally, the teacher Sanjaya asked them What do you think, in this world, are there more fools, or are there more wise people? And so they said, well, the fools are many in this world, but there are only a few wise people. And so Sanjaya then said, Well, if that is so, then the wise will go to the wise recluse Gotama, and the fools will come to me, the fool. So you may go, I cannot come with you. To speak with Sanjaya, The wise have come here to practice meditation. The fools, they stay at the place of their preference. When we engage in intensive meditation practice, it is a great and valuable support to be in a place where other people are doing the same thing. The Buddha also stressed the fact of, um, or the importance of having good spiritual friends, karyana and to seek the company of like-minded people. At one time, the Venerable Ananda approached the Buddha and said, isn't it so that half of the spiritual life is having good friends, karyanamittas. And the Buddha replied, Do not say so, Ananda. To have good friends is not only half of the spiritual life, but it is the whole of the spiritual life. So, All of you, or most of you, have come here to practice intensively meditation, practice from early morning until late at night. Among the advantages to come here and practice and not going off to do a self retreat somewhere out in the bush or somewhere up on a mountain, so among the advantages of being here is to have a teacher who can instruct you and who can guide you, and it is to have fellow meditators uh, who are the Karyana Mittas, who are the spiritual friends supporting you in your practice. Having fellow meditators already Their sight, their presence can be a source of great inspiration, especially in times when our practice is not going so well, when we are facing difficulties or challenges. Already the sight of our fellow meditators can give us inspiration and courage not to give up. And besides these suitable outer conditions, it's important that our mind is looking into the right direction, and that there be a wholesome mental outlook. Generally speaking, we are very good at finding faults, or uh, putting the blame on other persons, or outer conditions or circumstances. This can be the noise from the trucks back there, Uh, we can blame it uh, for destroying our concentration, for disrupting our mindfulness. Or it can, it can be the crows out there, screaming and being very noisy at times. Or it can be other things like if the food is not to our taste, maybe if it is a bit too hot, too many chilies, then uh, our stomach might get upset a little bit. And so again, we have a good reason to blame that. If our meditation practice is not going the way we want it to go or expect it to go. We not only see and look for faults in other persons or other conditioned situations, we are also quite good at finding fault with ourselves. We can be even quite harsh and cruel to ourselves blaming us for those qualities or mental states which we think we shouldn't have or which um, should not arise. And if we just dwell on this negativity, then it can pull us really down and make us feel quite depressed or miserable. Again, here, instead of dwelling unnecessarily on these negative qualities, we can turn the the mind around and look at some good or wholesome qualities that we are endowed of. Or we we could remember some good or helpful uh, thing or action that we did in the past, and then just Uh, rejoice in our own goodness, that we actually did something helpful or beneficial. It can be such a small act as holding the door open for the person who is entering the shop uh, right behind us. In a book about the life of uh, of a Taiwanese Bikuni called Cheng-Ying, I found the story of Lin Mei, who is a 53 year old Taiwanese woman and who is suffering from polio since the age of two. And on top of that, at the age of 43, she got a rheumatic fever and that um it impaired her ability to speak. So with that, she lost the ability to speak intelligibly. This woman, Lin Mei, she lives in a small apartment and she gets um, a monthly pension from the government. And whatever is left from this pension at the end of the month she donates it to the many projects of that Bikuni cheng yin. This Bikuni cheng yin has um, established uh, hospitals and also established groups of people taking care of people at home who don't need to go to a hospital, but who need some care at home. And... So this woman in May, not being able to walk, having um, needing care to take care of her, to prepare her food, so she she rejoices in her uh, own little good act of being able to donate a small amount of money at the end of the month. In her own words, she said, Giving is such a joyful thing, knowing that I can give at the month's end. That makes me feel strong and happy for the rest of the time. So remember that Lin Mei is not able to walk and that she cannot speak properly. So there would be a lot of opportunity to dwell on her suffering and bad fortune, and consequently feel miserable or depressed. But she has developed a positive mental outlook, and despite of her unfortunate situation, she spends her days happily and joyfully. Isn't it so that All human beings strive to attain happiness and avoid to be confronted with suffering. And despite all their sincere efforts, they never get it quite right. Even though there are times of happiness and joy, but there is suffering or misery as well and when we are overcome with suffering be it our own or be it the suffering of other beings then this can pull our minds down and as a result we feel irritated frustrated depressed or angry there is suffering in this world that's no doubt about this fact. And the Buddha deeply realized the consequences of this fact, and therefore he stated it as the first noble truth, dukkha the truth of unsatisfactoriness or suffering. If we haven't come to a deep realization of this fact through our personal um, experience in meditation practice, then the whole set out of the Buddhist teaching may look a bit depressing or sinister. Before I became a nun, um, once I attended a meditation retreat in Dharamsala in north, North India, the place where His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and many Tibetan refugees live. So that retreat was um, taught by a Tibetan Western nun. And she extensively talked about the suffering of human beings, and she gave very lengthy descriptions of the sufferings in the lower realms. And she uh, pointing out the many unwholesome effects of immoral behavior. And in that retreat, there was another Swiss man whom I met just before the retreat started and who had never meditated before. So, after about three or four days into the retreat, While we were queuing up for lunch, he came a bit closer to me and said, Is this Buddhism? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is it just all about suffering? (laughs) Isn't there any other aspect to it? And so I assured him that there were other aspects to Buddhism, but that there is none for whatever reason didn't talk about them. So, in order to endeavor lasting happiness, we must sow the seeds for happiness and joy to arise. And generally speaking, happiness arises by performing wholesome and beneficial acts. And these are acts or actions of body, speech and mind, which are not harmful, neither to us nor to other sentient beings. Wholesome, beneficial actions, they foster happiness, joy, well-being, contentment, harmony and trust in ourselves and in other living beings. One wholesome quality or action that can contribute a lot to our own happiness is Rejoicing or Appreciative Joy. Rejoicing means that in witnessing or hearing about somebody's happiness or success, our minds naturally will feel happy and delighted. Instead of feeling uh, jealous when somebody else gets a huge fortune, we can feel happy about the other person's good fortune and fully rejoice in it, without the slightest feelings of jealousy or envy. Rejoicing is a congratulatory attitude of our mind, being able to feel happy about other people's happiness or success. In the late 80s, I was traveling in Indonesia and I was hopping from one island to the, to the other. And at that time, I had already been traveling for more than one year. So one afternoon, I decided to wash all my clothes that I was carrying in my backpack and after having washed the clothes I hung them up on the uh, line in the backyard of the little guest house where I was staying and then I went for a little stroll into the village in the late afternoon I went back to the guest house and So I went to the backyard in order to get my clothes. But then, when I turned around the corner, I noticed that uh, the washing line was almost empty, or most of my clothes had gone. And among the clothes that I washed, there was a pair of pants, which I got in Sydney. Uh, while I was in Australia, before going to Indonesia. And I got this pair of pants on a famous street market in Sydney, and they were quite unusual, because they were hand-painted, had some pattern on it, and so I really liked them a lot, and they were my most treasured clothes that I was uh, carrying around with me. So therefore, when I noticed that um, most of my clothes and especially these pants had gone, my first reaction was, oh, what a pity, my beautiful pants. (laughs) But then immediately after that, there arose a second thought, which was, may the person who has these pants now be happy with them. (laughs) May he or she delight in this unique pants. And this incident showed me very clearly that the reaction to a certain event could make such a huge difference. For the first few moments, I was stuck with feelings of loss and therefore I was feeling miserable, I was suffering. But then, with the spontaneous arising of the second thought, the world looked completely different. As I was feeling uh, joyous and uh, as I was delighted that this person might be happy with it, then I was feeling great, I was happy. The fact or the condition was the same my clothes had disappeared and right there in that moment I had nothing uh, I could do nothing to get my clothes back on the spot they were gone but depending on my attitude or depending on my reaction I could either create suffering and misery for myself or I could force the be- uh, an attitude which would bring about happiness and joy. So happiness and joy, they were just one thought away from misery and suffering. Rejoicing in others happiness and success is a great way of making ourselves happy and delighted. But true and genuine joy at others' happiness and uh, success is actually not so easy. Often our initial joy uh, becomes tainted by thoughts of envy, jealousy, resentment or anger. In our struggle for survival and happiness, it seems to be so difficult when others are better off than we. It seems to be difficult to accept when they are more successful than us, when they are more beautiful than us, when they are more intelligent than we are. Instead of seeing um, our fellow human beings as our allies, we see them as enemies, which need to be conquered, or which need to be outdone. But on the basis of such an attitude, there can never arise thoughts of genuine um, appreciative joy. When we constantly compare ourselves with others, better, worse, uh, more beautiful, uglier, more intelligent, uh, less intelligent. Then we increase the gap between ourselves and others and at the same time we only foster unwholesome uh, mental states. Being able to rejoice, we do not compare and there is no judging. Alone the fact that the other person is happy or successful, this is enough for us to fully rejoice in that other person's happiness or success. Of course it is easier to rejoice at the happiness or success of a person we like or a person we feel close to. It's more difficult to feel happy about another person's success if we don't like that person, if we have feelings of ill will or resentment to such a person. So for example, if such a disliked person is awarded a prize in front of a big audience, then we can see that that person feels actually uh, happy. And so in that moment, can we put away our reasons for our ill will or resentment and just rejoice in that person's happiness and joy of getting a prize awarded. In our limited view, we may hold the idea that there is only a limited amount of joy and happiness available in this world. And therefore, if other beings are happy and joyful, it means that our potential share has been reduced. And so then, this may be a cause that our happiness or joy is tainted with the worry, um, whether there be enough joy or happiness uh, around for ourselves. And then we think that it would be better if the joy and happiness of the other person was a bit reduced, so that there was a bigger share for ourselves. But, in fact, the opposite is the case. Appreciative joy multiplies and strengthens the joy that is already existing, and this is true for both parties. It can strengthen and further the joy of the person who is already joyful, and our joy and delight can become stronger. Again, in German, there is the saying, shared joy is double joy. Or, um, there was a famous doctor called Albert Schweitzer, who established a hospital in the middle of Africa at the beginning of the last century. And he said, Happiness is the only thing in this world that is doubled, if only it is shared. In the traditional Asian Buddhist countries, the sharing of merits belongs to the fundamental practices of every Buddhist. After carrying out a wholesome deed, such as practicing generosity, or practicing meditation, or listening to a Dhamma talk, or any wholesome act, the merit or the positive energy of this wholesome act is shared with other living beings. By sharing our merit or our wholesome qualities and energy, the joy is not only doubled, but actually, it's many times multiplied. But somehow, for people, this runs against the grain. If we share something, or if we give something away, then how can we profit from it? But this is exactly what happens, and what the Buddha taught us. By sharing our merit, our merit actually increases. We share the merit of a a wholesome deed in the recognition that our spiritual practice is never done for us alone. In whatever belief we are rooted, our spiritual practice can never be isolated from our fellow human beings. Or from other living beings. And so the act of sharing merits can bring back that understanding if we should have forgotten it. Once we had a foreign meditator who was practicing meditation in our forest center in Burma, and he asked me why. Uh, In monasteries or meditation centers, there are all these inscriptions on walls, on houses, on pots of water, or even uh, on pieces of furniture. In Burma, when people donate something to a monastery or a meditation center, then whatever they donate, then... The name is written, be it on the segment of the wall that they donate, or if they donate a water pot, then the name is written on the pot of water, or if they donate a bed, then the the names of the donors is written um, on the bed and so I explained to this um, meditator, that this was done so that other people could rejoice in that donor's uh, good deed. And this meditator, he just looked at me unbelievably and said that this couldn't be true. He said, such a thing could only be done uh, out of pride. Because people wanted to show off that they had donated a kuti or a pot of water or a segment of the monastery wall. But I tried to explain him the virtue of rejoicing and telling him that this was still practiced in Burma and that there is actually such a mental state. which can rejoice in other people's um, generous needs. But all my explanation didn't convince him that there could exist such a noble state of mind. Caught in his own limited um, experiences and limited understanding, there was simply no room for such a noble state to exist and to be true. Steeped in ignorance or not knowing, people see themselves as separate entities from other beings. And seeing themselves as a separate entity, there is the need to care and look for these separate entities entity. And so then the success or happiness of other beings becomes a threat to them, and the immediate reaction is jealousy or envy. People cannot stand when others are richer, better, uh, intelligenter uh, than oneself. And sometimes even people project certain qualities into other persons, although that might not really be the case. For example, when I started uh, meditating many, many years ago, um, I would look around in the meditation hall and see all these yogis sitting there, Quietly and still and so I thought everybody was just sitting there in bliss and having a good time but later I found out that that was actually not the case and then I realized that my feelings of envy, jealousy were actually based on something which didn't exist, that it was only based on my um, on my false ideas and so that feeling this envy, feeling this uh unwholesome mental state in myself, it was uh based on some illusion. It had nothing to do with reality. avarice and stinginess can be toward a mental stage which can be a hindrance for uh, genuine thoughts of joy, appreciative joy to arise. So if the mind is filled with these qualities, stinginess, avarice, then we hold on to things that we possess or we hold on to to some knowledge and we don't want to share it with other peoples we don't want other people to know what we know we want we want to possess uh, just ourselves we want to be the owner of that uh, piece of knowledge and not others we don't want to share it with others because they might make better use of it, and so then, outdo us in that regard. And there is also aversion and boredom, which can oppose the arising of sympathetic joy. Aversion is an expression of the closed heart, and from our own experience, we know only too well how painful it is when our heart is closed and when we are shut off from other persons. And still it happens again and again that we close our hearts and so with that we cannot see the good or nice things in others anymore. Sometimes our hearts are closed not because of aversion but simply because there is disinterest in this state we are just not interested in what is going on in us or around us so this this disinterest is quite a dull state of mind or the mind is just oblivious of what is happening out there. And so, in this dull state, or in this disinterested state, when the mind is bored, then we miss all the little moments and events of daily life, which could give rise to thoughts of sympathetic joy. Then we miss to see the uh, nice little things Uh, the joys or the success of other beings and so we miss the joy the opportunity to feel joy about it if the mind is just dull and bored and not interested at all what is going on then we miss to see the little girls who are feeding the swans in the lake and uh, miss this opportunity to rejoice in the goodness uh, of feeding the swans. Or if our neighbor comes home with, from the hairdresser with a new stylish hairdress, we miss the opportunity to say a few nice words and uh, be happy for her that she has such a good um, haircut. So, rejoicing is a way of developing and strengthening a wholesome mental attitude. And this doesn't require a lot of theoretical knowledge, and it also doesn't uh, mean that we need to engage in long and intensive periods of meditation. It's the simple ability to see the good things in life, and see the good things in other persons or beings. Even while taking rest or while te- um, relaxing, we can gain a huge merit at no cost by simply recalling the happiness or success of another person and then fully rejoice in it. But what is needed to do so is a shift in our attitude and understanding and then to remember it throughout the day each little incident or encounter with other persons or be- uh, beings can be the cause for joy or for joy to arise what is needed is a shift of our perspective We need to look at it, at this event from the right angle. In the meditation centers in Burma, it is custom that people come and offer meals. And in Burma, it's not that people come and bring the cooked food, but mostly they donate the necessary amount of money, and then the people in the kitchen, they they cook the meal. But then the donors, they come um, in order to offer the meal to the monks. In the early years of staying in Burma, I was staying at the main center in Yangon, and there the meditation hall was right next to the dining hall. And so it happened that sometime before lunch, the donors would come. And because they were not meditating, they were coming from outside, they would come and walk past the meditation hall, talking and laughing. Sometimes it was quite a big group, because they invited their friends and relatives and there were also children and of course the children they would run past the meditation hall and shout and have fun and laugh and so i was sitting there in meditation and i would get all angry and upset um, because of these people making so much noise and i would find myself sitting on my cushion giving them long admonitions on how to behave in a meditation center. But of course, this didn't change Uh, the situation, it didn't improve. It only made me feel miserable. Only (coughs) later, I was able to rejoice in these people's good heart and... Much needed support for our center, and so then I could develop thoughts of joy and happiness and gratitude uh, because through their generous dana, I could make I and other meditators could could meditate uh, all the time without having uh, be bothered to prepare our meal. The quality to rejoice in others' happiness and success is also one of the four Brahma-viharas. And in Pali it's called Mudita. And as you might remember, these four Brahma-viharas are Metta, Karuna, Mudita and Upeka or loving-kindness, compassion, Appreciative joy and equanimity. They are called the Brahmaviharas because it is said, if we dwell with the mind of Mudita or any of the, of the other Brahma-viharas, then we are said to dwell like the Brahmas. The Brahmas are some beings who live in the divine abode. It's definitely a better way to go through our days when we spend our lives when we spend it uh, having our hearts filled with mudita or the other Brahma Viharas rather than being overcome with mental negative mental states such as envy, jealousy, avarice frustration, resentment, anger or dislike. But fully rejoicing in others' happiness or success is not so easy and if we are not yet very good at it, we need to develop it, we need to strengthen it. It's a mental state like metta, which can be developed and strengthened. It's not that we are either endowed with it, or if we are unlucky, unlucky, not. Also, before becoming a nun, once I spent my time in Ladakh, which is in the uh, Indian Himalayas right close uh, to Tibet and sometime before that when I was traveling in the United States some friends they gave me a very nice dragon brooch made of silver, very fine, very intricate and so I had it fixed on my uh, sweater which I was always carrying around with me on all my travels so it was such a nice dragon brooch and i liked it very much and not being able to carry around with me much on my travels but this was one of my treasures that i had and so when i was in ladakh this is already my second time I went again to this very remote and faraway village. One could only get there by walking, there was no road. And to get there, one had to walk for five days, and one had to cross two passes which were 5,000 meters high. So, then again, I spent some time in that village and there was also a monastery there. And now in the meantime, they have also a nunnery. And so, because there was no shop there in that village, um, I was living from the butter and samba that they offered me at the monastery. There, the monks, they had three pujas a day. And during each puja, they got heaps of butter tea, and also sampan. and so going to the Buddhas there I got my meals <laughs> and, but then some of the village people uh, they would come um, up and bring me a cup of curd curd made from sheep milk which was very nice, very delicious and which added some variety to my diet there and there was especially one family who very often came and brought me a cup or a ball of this precious uh, curd. And probably they gave all to me and they didn't keep um, anything uh, for them. So after some time realizing their uh, generosity, their good heart, I thought that I wanted to give them something. Just out of sheer gratitude. I wanted to give them a little present. And so I started to think what I could give to this family. But I didn't have much. My clothes, my cooking here, but which was useless because I couldn't buy any food to cook. And my tent... So, I was thinking over and over, what did I have that I could give them? And then one day, the thought went to this dragon brooch on my sweater. And I thought, yes, that would be a nice present, but no, no, I can't give this away. No, this is this gift from my friends in America, I cannot give it to somebody else, and Anyway, I was too much attached to it. But then again, there was the strong wish to give something to this family who was so kind to me. And so I realized that was about the only thing that I had to give away as a present. And so this struggle went on in my mind for several days. I want to give something, but no, I can't give away this one. And then, finally, I decided that I would give it, because I reckoned I could get another one later, I could buy a new one, whereas this family didn't have the means to. And so then I gave this dragon brooch to the mother of the family, and she seemed to be very happy and delighted to get it, and she immediately put it on her woollen head, the Ladakhis, they always wear a woollen hat, even in summertime. And then, after a few days, there was a little festival in this village, and people from small neighboring villages, they came for this festival. And then I discovered that this dragon brooch was on the chest of another young lady from a neighboring village. And when I saw that, I was upset. And in my mind I was saying, how can you dare to give this brooch to somebody else, meaning the mother of the family? Don't you know how much it cost me to let go of it and to give it to you? It was meant for you and you are supposed to keep it for the rest of your life. How can you dare to give away my most precious gift? And my mind was just raving with these kinds of thoughts. But then there was this soft voice in the back of my mind which whispered Hey, isn't it amazing how generous this woman is? See how selfless she is. Whatever she has, she gives away. Probably you have made her uh, a great failure in giving it to her because now she had something that she could give away to somebody else. What, uh, what amazing uh, woman! And so in this way my heart slowly started to open up and finally I could fully rejoice and feel happy about her selfless and generous act. So in the context of the Brahma Viharas, when we develop and cultivate the ability to rejoice in others' happiness and success, then we take some sentences which express this Um, congratulatory attitude. In the same way as for the Metta, we take a sentence like May all beings be happy and well. Or may this person be happy and well. So then when we uh, develop Mudita, we can take a sentence like May your good fortune not be reduced. Or Whatever you have acquired, may it never decrease or diminish. And so, focusing on others' happiness and success, we cultivate and strengthen our ability to feel happy and joyous about it. Mudita, or sympathetic joy, is often a bit overlooked. Mudita's big sister, Metta, is much better known and more often practiced. <coughs> Although in practicing Metta, the, the joy in the success and happiness of others is included, but often we neglect to specifically um, cultivate and develop that, this quality of rejoicing in others happiness and uh, success. If we cultivate and develop our minds and hearts and if we can fully rejoice when others are happy, prosperous or successful, then we are much less prone to be overcome with mental negative mental states, such as envy, jealousy, resentment or dislike. And with the practice of Mudita, we can make our minds more joyful. And when there is a sense of joy in the practice, it will uplift our spirits and open our hearts to the thousand little wonders and joys of life. So may all of you, with a joyful heart, be able to practice the Dhamma and become fully liberated. Thank you for listening.